Church. All right, so if kids want to head out now, they can head to Reach Kids. And before we jump into our sermon this morning, um, so last week we had a special announcement at our SBR campus, and this week we're sharing it with the, the Fair Hill campus. Um, so we are always moving and growing and seeking to reach the next generation. That's one of our goals as a church, that we would not reach ourselves, that we reach the next generation for Christ, that they would be more passionate about Jesus, more, more empowered to do the things uh, that they have been called to. And so with that in mind, uh, Reach Church is kind of moving into the next, the next phase of Christian education, and they're seeking to start actually Reach College and Seminary. So this would be... Uh, would start out small, but uh, even now we have a lot of the parts in place that we have 11 professors, um, kind of potentially, who have PhDs who are ready to teach, who are ready to, to educate, not just to the high school level, but to the college level. And we're seeking to establish a classical college to, to prepare kind of those who are who are ready for Christ and who want to, to engage the culture even more. So, uh, so people like, like PB himself, like Steve Turley, um, some of these great men that have so much to bring to the next generation, they have now a forum to do that in a really neat way. So uh, there's going to be more and more news on that, I'm sure. The hope is to, to start by 2019. And just a, a new way to, to engage the next generation with Christ. So that's exciting. And um, it's exciting to be part of, part of a church that is, is really doing the work of Christ. So, yeah. All right, so uh, let's pray for that and then we'll jump in. Father, we, we thank you that your vision for this church is, is bigger than we would ever ask or imagine. And Father, we, we thank you that you've given us the, the ability to, to reach out in so many ways. And Father, I ask that we would be all about Jesus, that we would not be distracted from him. And Father, that the next generation would not, uh, would not learn a Jesus-less Christianity, but instead would be empowered by Christ to do the things that they are called to so, Father, would you bless this ministry? Would you bless Tim Durlin and the schools and the leadership that this would be a, a great place to, to learn about Jesus and to put it into play? Father, we ask that we would be all about Jesus in our individual lives. And, Father, would you use the preaching of your word this morning to help us do just that? We long to glorify and honor him above all else, above ourselves, that we may be less, that he may be more. So we pray, Holy Spirit, would you fill us up that that may happen even now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So uh, we are between series right now, which means that I can preach on whatever I want. So, uh, <laughs> which is incredibly difficult, by the way, because you have to look at the whole Bible and be like, okay, what do you guys need? Um, how are you sitting today? Um, no, not really, not really. All right, so uh, as I look at, 
at our collective lives, um, we are very busy people. We can be a very anxious people. We can be a very overwhelmed with life kind of people. And the reality is that there, there are, there's so much pressure on us to, to do, do things right, to do things the right way, to do things um, as a thousand different voices tell us to do them. And so in a given week, in a given day, you have, you have thousands of pressures on you and thousands of rules, thousands of ways to stack up or to fail, kind of hundreds of decisions to make and probably, probably dozens of people to, to please and to manage. And daily life can get overwhelming. That we have kind of these big things like, okay, could I do well in my job, but also like mow the lawn and fix that drain that is, is clogged and like build myself up as a person and read my Bible and pray for everyone I know. And, and it gets overwhelming. And we start to see that like this, this laundry list of things, including the laundry, is growing ahead of us and, and we're, we're wondering, okay, what, what is our actual priority here? What are we actually called to do? And that, that's what we're talking about this morning. That we would hear from Jesus and hear, okay, in all of this craziness, in all of the, the pressures, what does Jesus himself ask of us? And we're going to see this in, in probably one of the, a very classic story, the story of Mary and Martha. The story of Mary and Martha. And the hope is that we would kind of escape from the craziness of life and find true peace and rest in Christ through the story. So we're going, to, we're going to talk about three things here in this story. We're going to see where do we find true rest? Where do we find true rest? We're going to see why are we so bad at getting there? Why are we so bad at actually entering into that rest in Christ? And third, what does Jesus himself say is our priority in this life? All right. So with that in mind, let's turn to Luke 10. Luke 10, we're going to look at verses 38 through 42. Luke 10, verses 38 through 42. New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke 10, 38 from 42. I'll let the flipping by down and... All right, let's go. Luke 10, 38 through 42. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village... And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. All right. All right, so Jesus. Jesus was a traveler. And Jesus is, is going up and down the countryside, sharing the gospel, and he's just outside of Jerusalem. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Now, in, in the REACH class, we just talked about hospitality. So this is Martha. She's doing the work of hospitality. She's doing what she's supposed to be doing. But 
she doesn't end up finding the peace and the rest in Christ that her sister Mary does. That there is a place of perfect peace and perfect rest, and Mary finds it at the feet of Jesus. Verse 39. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. That Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus listening to what he said. All right. Why is this the place of perfect peace, of solitude, of solace in the midst of our crazy world? All right. What, what, is, what is on Mary's heart right now? A lot of it, it's, it's in the posture and how she approaches and, and is before Jesus Christ. And we see first that this posture of submission, of submission. That if, if we, I can't look at this and, and not see kind of Jesus on the throne here. And before her, her king and her Lord, she is bowed down and she is receiving from him. She is receiving him as Lord, as the Lord and king in her life. And that's the posture that we come to with Jesus, that, that he gets to be the king and we are subject to him. And there's great blessing in that. That if Jesus is the king, then Jesus is the sovereign Lord working all things for the good of those who love him. That he is in control. He is actually doing what needs to happen. That we get to receive his law. There's this great blessing in the law. We, we act like the law is a curse. But no, the, the law is for our joy and for our protection, for our prosperity. And sitting at the feet of Jesus, Mary is receiving the law with open arms. And she's receiving her king, the one who conquers, the one who defeats her enemies and battles on her behalf. This is a place of perfect peace. This is a posture of reception. So Mary, Mary could be a bunch of different ways. She could be standing on top of Jesus and, and pointing at him, telling him what, what needs to happen. But no, she's, she's submitted to him and receiving the words that he has for her. Receiving his words, not kind of needing to control Jesus, but receiving from him. And in that posture, she is a child before her father and her Lord. That this is the one who promises to give her everything that she needs. The one who, who will teach her about her heart and her sin and her need of Christ. This is her being loved by her heavenly father. And finally, in that posture, sitting at the feet of Jesus, she's able to worship. That anywhere we see in the word where there's someone actually, actually seeing the real God, the real God, they are flat on their face before him. That we cannot help but worship in the midst of, of the true God, that this is the God who is a savior, who has died for Mary, who has given himself for her, who has done the work and received the glory that is due to him and given it to her. This is a posture of worship. Now I hope we see that there's this great blessing in being before Jesus, sitting at his feet, listening to his words. That where else would we want to be where else would we want to be? How often do we find ourselves at the feet of Jesus? 
at the feet of Jesus listening to his words. I have to say that I don't often end up there. And I'm confident to say that we don't often end up there. Now, for some of you, for some of you, it's, it's kind of terrifying to think of, of being in Mary's position. Now, for some of you, we can't stop working. And the second we stop working, we're like antsy, like those little, little dogs that can't stop twitching. I don't like those dogs. I apologize to those who have dogs like that. But they're like always like, oh, I'd be doing something. Um, I think that's how we feel, that like, how dare I sit at the feet of Jesus and not be doing something? Like, I could be so much more productive than I am now. Those who are kind of the workaholic types. They don't enjoy being at the feet of Jesus. All right, then there's the, then there's the other side, which is the, the super distracted, entertained, kind of hyper-absorbed type. The kind of, the kind of person who, like, is watching television while working on their laptop, while texting on their phone, and you're just like, always go, go, go. And it's terrifying to stop because maybe you don't want to hear what Jesus says. And maybe if you distract yourself, like you, you won't have to hear painful things or, or look at life for what it is. Now, there's other people who don't want to be before the feet of Jesus because it's beneath them. That we, we think we are the kings. We are on our thrones. And so we don't, we don't want to be at the feet of Jesus. We don't want to be listening. We want to be telling Jesus maybe what, what needs to happen. And so we don't find ourselves there. Now, why do we have such a hard time resting and getting before the feet of Jesus? Just to listen to him. When... when we know in our, in our minds that there's this great blessing here, that there's great blessing in being at the feet of Jesus. And I think Martha gives us, gives us some clues. Why are we so anxious and weighed down by life? It's because we're distracted. We're distracted. Verse 40. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. All right, this is why a lot of you don't like this story. Because <laughs> Martha, she just, she's, she's doing what needs to be done, apparently. All right, so you, you invited God into your home, and like, he needs to be fed. So we're going to make sure that happens. And she's working, and she's working. And what does the passage say? She's doing, it says she's distracted. That the work of serving Jesus has become a distraction from Jesus himself. All right, is, is getting the house prepared for Jesus an evil thing? No. No, it's a good thing. Like, you need to eat. Okay. Um, and that's where things don't have to be evil to be distractions from Jesus. That they can, there can be bad things that distract. There can be neutral things that distract. There can be good things that distract from the person of Jesus and from sitting at his feet. And that those things actually are are evil only because they're keeping you from the better thing from Jesus himself. And the question is, like, what is distracting you? 
What is distracting you? What do you find yourself doing on top of the list before, before getting at the feet of Jesus? Now, I wish that I could say that, that we had just like simply short attention spans. That these are innocent distractions and we just need to, we just need to refocus. But I think we're not true to, to our hearts if we say that. That's where we, we are distracted because we are serving other gods. They were actually distracted and we're working because we are serving false gods, not Jesus. And when we serve these false gods, these false gods will not let us rest. They will not let us sit before the feet of Jesus. They keep us running and working. They keep us anxious and always on our feet. Now, how do we see that in Martha? This next verse. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. All right, you see by the fruit of, of her distraction that this is not an innocent distraction. All right, this is not bearing good fruit in her life. Uh, what is it creating in her? It's creating in her bitterness and jealousy and comparison. It's, it's eating her up, these distractions. All right, do you ever feel like that when you're working hard? You do the, the comparison game of like, oh, like, when do, when do you go to work? And when do you get home? Or you come home from work and, and your wife is, is looking at you like you didn't do anything all day. And you're looking at her like you just sat around bonbons the whole time. And like, we play this game. We play this game because there's something wrong with our heart. We're getting distracted and, and, and the fruit is showing. Now, how does Martha's reaction show her heart? Who is she actually serving? Why is she actually working for? I think we have to say that she's working for a false god. She's working for a false god. She's not actually working for Jesus. She thinks she's working for Jesus. That's the scary part. She thinks that she knows Jesus and knows what Jesus wants. That Jesus wants a meal. And Jesus wants to be provided for. Jesus wants to be served. And the reality is, is she's wrong. She doesn't know Jesus well enough to know what Jesus would want. And she thinks that if she gives Jesus what she wants, then maybe she'll get to sit at his feet. And that's why she's so angry at Mary, because Mary is cheating. Mary has skipped over the serving and working and giving it to Jesus and sacrificing and going straight to the sitting at his feet. And that's not allowed. That's not the God that, that Martha thinks she worships. And so, so what happens? She, she goes up to the Lord, like to, to the Lord of the universe, and starts bossing him around. Like it's terrifying that like she is that out of touch with what's going on here. But that's where she ends up. And, and it's because she's, She's worshiping a false god. She's not worshiping the true Jesus. All right, how are we like, how are we like Martha? All right, for some of you, for some of you, you can end up serving the same false Jesus. 
and then we constantly feel the pressure to serve and to please him that we never actually feel like we deserve to sit at his feet. We're distracted with serving him and we forget the fact that he, he's, he's trying to serve us. He's trying to work for us. He's trying to redeem us. Now, unfortunately, that's, that's kind of the, I don't know. There are other gods that we serve besides just fake Jesus. And they're equally destructive. So a lot of the anxiety, a lot of the pressure in our lives is because we're serving. We're serving other gods besides the real one. Maybe you're looking for the approval of the world. You're looking to be successful. You're looking to be accepted. You're looking to be praised by the world itself. Or maybe, maybe you're worshiping people. That people are, are, are very, they're made in the image of God. They look a lot like God. And so we start worshiping our, our spouse. We start worshiping our children. We start worshiping our boss. We are, we're, serving, we're serving them before Jesus. And what happens? Those are straight up terrible gods. They are terrible gods. And they will never let you rest. That the world, the world can come up with a thousand rules for, let's say, parenting. All right. I didn't know that people had so many opinions on parenting until I became one. And there's, there's a million rules and a million ways of how you're supposed to be a good parent. Like how, how you make sure your kids are eating healthy and what they're supposed to wear. And like when the mean lady comes up to you at the grocery store and says like, he's not having a jacket on. And like, there's a lot of pressure by the world to, to like be this perfect parent. That happened to Casey, not to me. I, I'm still, I haven't forgiven the lady yet, apparently. Um, <laughs> just what we needed. Um, and that's where like the world can come up with more and more and more for you to do. And the best you can do is turn to this comparison and getting bitter and judging other people and kind of fighting the ladder because we can't, we can't stack up. And the second we stop playing the game, we start to lose and that God starts to abandon us. That the parenting God starts running out the window and, and you, feel, you feel guilty and ashamed. Now that's true of work. That's true of every human relationship. All right, let's talk people-pleasing. People-pleasing. All right, this is turning people into gods and serving them as gods. People are really bad gods because they are never satisfied. Remy, Remy doesn't care what happened yesterday. He cares what happened now. And if we're serving him, he's going to be a terrible god. And people are not inherently gracious or forgiving, and you will inevitably fail them, and you will inevitably lose, lose them as a god and they will never let you rest. All right. Then there's the last one. The last God that we worship is ourselves. We worship ourselves. And we spend so much time trying to pretend that we are gods and try to kind of build up our resumes and try to prove to people why we deserve to be worshipped, why we deserve to be a god in the eyes of men. 
Now you are a very bad God. All right, there's a lot of pressure when you're a God. <laughs> Imagine that. Um, all right, so if you're a God, if you're a God, you, you, are, you have to hold all of life in your hand. And you're responsible for making sure that, that all things work together for good. You're responsible for all justice. You're responsible for all, all rewarding good. You're responsible for the sanctification of the human race. That you're responsible for things that you have never been able to control. You are terrible gods. And the more you serve and try to be a god, the more crazy your life is going to get. Because you can't do it. And that's where Martha, that's where Martha ends up. That Martha is trying to be her own god. And so she ends up going to the real god and yelling at him. And telling them that actually, no, I get to be God and I, I need to rule over you. And your servants need to come serve me. Now that's a really dangerous place to be and we have all been there. When instead of receiving Jesus as God sitting at his feet, we're telling Jesus what he needs to be doing as our servant. That's a scary place. But that's our hearts. That's where we, that's where we naturally end up. All right. What is distracting you from Jesus? What is distracting you? And then take it the level, a level deeper. What does that mean you're worshiping? Who is this God that you are serving? Because it's not a God of grace. It's not a God of mercy. It's not a God of forgiveness. That all of these false gods are slave drivers and will abandon you the second they stop, you stop serving them. All right. All right, we don't like this story. And probably most of you are thinking, but like, okay, Peter, what, what do you actually want me to do? Like, I have things that I have to do every day. And like, honestly, Mary seems kind of gushy and sickly sweet and kind of like a suck up. But like, why doesn't she have to do the work? Like, I have work to do. I have, I have to get my nine to five in. And like, what are, what's actually expected of us? And that's where thankfully Jesus, Jesus steps in and he tells us exactly what he wants from us. And look what he says. Verse 41. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. All right. So Jesus doesn't like being bossed around. Um, he knows he's God. So, he, doesn't, <laughs> so he, he, he puts her back in her place where she needs to be. Um, and he says, there are lots of things to worry about. And there are lots of things that seem really important. And there are lots of things that seem necessary. But what does he say? One thing is necessary. One thing is necessary. Now, do you see what, how extreme a statement that is? That's where compared to everything else, this one thing, this one thing alone is necessary. And that is Jesus. And that is getting at his feet and listening to him. 
That's what, that's what our Lord expects of us is that we sit at his feet and listen to him. That one thing. All right, so what does this mean? This means that you, you, have, you have one way to assess a successful day. If you sat at the feet of Jesus or not. And before you start your to-do list, the only thing on that to-do list of necessary things is did you sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to him? That that is the one thing that Jesus says is necessary. Now how on earth can Jesus say that, that is the only thing that is, is necessary? All right, if we're thinking like Jesus, that's the only thing that is spiritually necessary to be saved. That's the one thing, is sitting at the feet of Jesus and receiving him as king and as Lord, as God. And we have those scary stories. The scary stories that say things like, we did, we did, we did miracles. We did all of this stuff in your name, Jesus. And what does Jesus say? I didn't know you. That yeah, you did all this stuff. You were, you were very Martha-y but I didn't know you, and actually you didn't know me. That if you had known me, you would have known that it's me working for you, that I am doing the work. You are not the one who is to serve and save yourself. And you spent so much time working for this false god that you never actually got to know me. Sitting at the feet of Jesus, knowing him and receiving his work, is the only thing that is spiritually necessary to be saved. All right, why else is this necessary? This is the only thing that's actually going to change you. This is the only thing that's actually going to change you. The day in, day out, sitting at the feet of Jesus, hearing him tell you about your heart and about his love for you in, the, in spite of your wicked heart and, and sharing with you his spirit and his word, which transforms us, that is the only way we're going to change. And finally, finally, the, the only reason this is, the only, this is necessary because it's the only way, way we find true rest. The only way we find true rest. That this Jesus, he's going to tell us, you don't have to work for your salvation. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to be anxious about it. It is done. I have done it. There's nothing left. And if you go to Jesus, you're going to leave different. You're going to leave with a different to-do list than you had before. He's going to show you all the things on that list that actually are just you anxiously serving idols. And he's going to put things on the list that you would never thought of. Things that actually bring true joy that actually change people's lives, that actually give you purpose. There's only one thing that is necessary, nothing but Jesus. And then there's this last, there's last, last happy part, last happy part. He also says, Mary has chosen what is better. He's chosen what is better. And so is this necessary? Yes, it's necessary. But thankfully, God is not just in the business of necessary. He's in the business of better. And we have to trust that if this is Jesus saying that of all the things 
coming to, to worship at my feet is better. That I'm a better God. That I'm gracious, I'm merciful, I'm forgiving. That you can come to Jesus having screwed up and having failed to work as you, as you thought you were supposed to. You can come to him just as you are. And he will love and he will accept and he will prove and he will then go and change your heart. All right. All right, what does this actually look like then? What does it look like to sit at the feet of Jesus? I want to say it's really hard to do. It's really hard to do. All right, because other, we, like, we like to sit, sit at the feet of Jesus, and we just pray at Jesus, and we tell Jesus all of the things about us, and we never actually want to hear what he has to say. Or, or we receive just this emotional stuff that Jesus never actually said. Yeah, you know, yeah, you'd like, like yeah, that sounds like a fun Jesus. And like we, we kind of build him up and then we follow him. But no, we actually need to hear the words of Jesus. Like we probably need to actually open our Bibles and receive some real words from him. All right. So we can't just come at him and tell him what he's going to do. We also can't just turn this into some intellectual game. And you know when you've done this. When you said, those are some neat facts about Jesus, and then you walk away. All right, that is not sitting at the feet of Jesus. That's getting some facts about Jesus from the encyclopedia and, and going away. No, if you haven't really worshipped, if you haven't looked at your heart, if you haven't seen your sin, if you haven't sat at the feet of the cross and received him as Savior and King and Lord and Savior and King and Lord again and again and again. Like, you have not sat at the feet of Jesus. And I know that some of you are like intellectually, like you feel like you don't, you don't know how to sit at the feet of Jesus. I think it's, it's, it's an emotionally hard thing more than anything. That it's incredibly humbling to sit at the feet of Jesus, but it comes with great blessing. That this is our King, this is our Lord, this is our Savior. And there's only one thing that is necessary is to sit before him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he receives us in mercy and forgiveness and love, that he sees our sin completely and yet he dies for it. And Father, we thank you that that you are not a God like all other gods. That you work for us, you die for us, you sacrifice for us, and only then do you ask anything of us. Father, I ask that you would give us uh, insight into the things that are distractions and the things that are idols. Father, I ask that you would, you would take those things away that we may have more of Jesus. Father, we ask that you would you'd break our hearts and by the Spirit you would change those hearts to love Jesus and to love him more and to love the things of ourselves less.
Father, we are bad gods. The gods that we have created are fickle, terrible gods, but you are the one true God that is gracious and merciful, that is a joy to serve. So, Father, would you give us great joy in our service that we may rejoice in you. In Christ's name we pray.